sermon number 565 is the blessing. Number two, in meekness and in hunger. The text, Matthew 5, 5 to 6. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This sermon preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, March 7th, 1971. Matthew, the fifth chapter, the fifth verse. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Beatitudes number three and four. I don't know about you, but I often have wondered recently whatever happened to Charlie Atlas. Do you remember Charlie Atlas? Those of you of the younger generation may not know of him, but when some of us were growing up, growing up Charlie Atlas was that imaginary character who was the possessor of a perfect physical physique. You remember him, don't you? He appeared in advertising cartoons on the back of practically every major magazine. And he offered a program of fitness and proved to try to be the Salvation for every 98-pound weakling who is sick and tired of having bullies kick sand in their face and steal their best girlfriends. You remember him. I remember as a small boy wishing many times to have both the money and the courage to send for the course so that I could become a Charlie Atlas. Well, we don't hear much of Charlie today. He's died. I guess the advertising people put him away because he seemingly must not be necessary anymore, yet I'm not quite sure what it was that caused his death. Maybe the spas caused his demise, or the physical fitness programs that we have in our high schools, or maybe it was Little League. Maybe it was the rich foods that we eat and the fact that we are getting to be bigger people in physical stature. I don't know, but for some reason or another, Charlie Atlas has died. We, we haven't heard of him for a long time. But though he has disappeared from the scene, the cause or the reason which brought him into existence in the first place, this has not disappeared because we are still a people who worship power, who love strength. We measure influence by financial power. We, we measure automobiles by horse power. We, we think of nations as being strong by their military power. and We think a man is really great if he has 
great intellectual power. We're people who worship strength and we despise in any way, shape, or form weakness. We don't like to see weakness in other people. And we abhor weakness in ourselves. And it is because of this, and due to the fact that we worship strength and confuse weakness with meekness, then we just do not understand what Jesus is talking about in this third beatitude. We think he must be wrong. What blessing is there in being meek? What kind of happiness can come into our lives, possibly come into our lives, because of, of meekness? It's very difficult, very difficult for us to understand what Jesus is trying to get at when he said, Blessed are the meek, the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let me put your minds at ease. There's nothing wrong with Jesus' teaching. Jesus is absolutely right when he says that the meek are the individuals who are going to find real happiness and a blessing in this world. The problem is not in the Beatitude. The difficulty is in the translation of the parable from the original Greek to our limited vocabulary of the English. No matter how we try, you see, there is just not a word applicable in its fullest dimension to the Greek word pros, which the King James Version and, and the Revised Standard Version rather incorrectly interpret as meaning meekness. Praus, that's the Greek word. And it's a very powerful word in it. It is a word that was used much within the Greek family. But we just don't have a word that can cut it. We just don't have a comparable term even that can bring the full beauty and the depth and the total dimension of this particular Greek word. Consequently, we have to be satisfied with second best and meekness just doesn't do the job. But Jesus is saying, blessed are the pros. Now, pros is, as I said, a Greek word upon which volumes have been written. And we know that it has at least two meanings. First of all, it was the word that was given to a domesticated animal. An animal that once had been wild, that had been brought in. An animal that had a master. An animal who had learned to master itself. An animal who did not go around just biting as it used to, anyone that it pleased. An animal who knew that its freedom was restricted. An animal that knew that if it was ever to find happiness and joy and warmth within the comradeship of its master, because it was under command, it knew that it had to command its own instincts, its own desires, its own wishes. An animal that is voluntarily, in the name of love, gives up the freedom 
of just doing whatever he wants to do and controls his impulses, passions, and instincts. Prowls, you see, it, it was used to describe a domesticated animal. But it was used also by the Greek ethical writers like Aristotle to, to speak of a particular virtue. Aristotle, you see, was one who believed that a virtue was the mean between opposite extremes. Aristotle believed, you see, that at the one end you have the extreme of excess, and at the other extreme you have defect. And somewhere in here is the medium, or as we like to call it, the happy medium. For example, over here you have the extreme or the excess of the spindrift. And at the opposite end you have the extreme or the defect of, of a miser. But in between, you see, right here you, you have the happy medium, and here you find the virtue of a generous man. Over here, you see, you have the extreme, you have the excess of a, a reckless creature. And over here, you have the other extreme, that of a coward. But in between, you see, you have the happy medium, the virtue of a, of a courageous individual. Now, praos, that Greek word was used to describe that individual who had neither too much anger nor too little anger, that had the right amount of anger always at the right time. Pros was used to describe the man who had the right kind of anger for the right motive against the right person at the right time. You say to yourself, is there ever a right time when in we should be angry? Yes. You know, the Bible speaks of only two individuals who, who are meek, praus, Moses and Jesus. And you just don't know your Bible if you think that these individuals never knew that, that passion of anger. But you see, their anger always had a leash upon it. It always had a self-control. They never got angry at the wrong time, at the wrong person, or at the wrong thing for the wrong motive. They were always angry at the right time, at the right pur for the right purpose, at the right people. And you see, there is a time when we should be angry. Very definitely so, and there's something wrong with us if we are not. Dr. William Barclay, he... he he says, and I think it's a good rule, that it is always right to be angry at injustices and injury that has been done to another person. But seldom, if ever, is it right to, to become angry at an injury or an injustice that has been inflicted upon oneself. Selfish anger is seldom if ever right. But selfless anger, God needs it to be a vital moral force in the world today. 
And this is the way God keeps things straight, by working through people who have a controlled anger, who are angry at the right reason, for the right motive, at the right time. And this is the way God works. Berkeley goes on to use a very wonderful illustration out of the life of our own Abraham Lincoln. As you people know, Abraham Lincoln was not the most handsome of persons who graced the earth. He was rather grotesque-looking in physical appearance. And Lincoln, as we know, had a secretary of war by the name of Staunton, and Staunton was an aristocrat. He was the aristocrat of aristocrats, and he did not like Lincoln. One day an expedition was sent from America to Africa to find a live gorilla to bring it back home, to put it on display here in America. And Staunton was quoted as saying that you need not send the expedition to Africa, you need look no further than Springfield, Illinois for, for the gorilla. Not very complimentary, but Lincoln only laughed. At another time someone came and said, Mr. President, Secretary Stoughton says that you are a fool. Immediately the president replied, I must go see Stoughton immediately, for seldom is he ever wrong. He did not become angry. He was able to laugh at these hurts against his character and against his physical appearance, over which he had absolutely no control. But this was man filled with selfless, anger, not selfish anger. And you think that perhaps he did not have that passion within him to be able to find that righteous indignation. But he did, as Barclay goes on, as we who know Lincoln's life through his biographers know, that one day he was down in New Orleans and he came upon a, a black girl that was being sold in the slave trade. She was evaluated, she was punched and looked at like a common animal. And the biographers say that the eyes of this great president of our land, prior to the time when he was president, they burned with anger and fury and he said to someone standing by, if ever I get the chance, I'm going to hit this trade and I'm going to hit it hard. And history knows as we know he did. You see, this is the difference between anger which is right and anger which is wrong. This is prophos. And what Jesus is trying to say here is happy is that individual who has self-control or knows that he's under the control of another who exercises control and discipline over his desires and over his instincts, over his passions, and above all over that particular passion of anger. Blessed is that individual who knows when to get angry and when not to, at whom to become angered and at whom not to. Blessed is he who knows the right time to get angry and knows when not to. Blessed is this individual. And what comes to him? He shall inherit the earth. Now this is another term that's a little difficult for us to understand. 
Do we mean earth here in the figurative sense? The kingdom of God? Is that what it is? It could be. could be. And, and we all know, don't we, that we're not going to have a place in the kingdom of God if we act like animals, untrained and undisciplined. We're not going to have a place in the kingdom of God if we allow our anger to go unleashed and to strike out at this person and that person and everyone else. That's what causes controversies within groups. This is what causes anger and hostility within communities. This is what causes war amongst nations. You can't be in the kingdom of God and live as a son, an inheritor of the kingdom, if you're going to live like an animal. You see, we can't know about the kingdom of God if we are going to be individuals who mistake freedom for license. If we're going to be individuals who mistake enthusiasm for free expression to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. We're never going to be in the kingdom of God if we are individuals who are controlled by the anger that comes with the hurts to our personal pride and to the suffering that we think others are inflicted upon us. You never know the kingdom of God when you live according to this. You can't because you're so busy fighting the wrong war at the wrong time that you can't enjoy the paradise which God has given to us. This means, you see, that just because you are angry at something, you have no right to go and bomb a capital of a nation or to use violence in any form just because you are angry at some cause. You don't live as a son of God and inherit the earth if you live that way. Maybe this body attitude is to be interpreted figuratively. Maybe it's to be interpreted literally. And mean that we are just not sons of the living God that can possess this earth, this dirt for which, which God has given to us as a gift. You know, when you read in Genesis, and those of you who take the Bethel course, and I hope all of you do, well, we can only take 180 the first semester, you're going to learn four things that God teaches about creation in the book of Genesis. And namely that God has given us this earth and he has given it to us as a gift and we are the sons or the inheritors of it. He has given it to us to replenish it. He has given us it to subdue it. He has given it to us to dress, till, and keep it. He has given it to us to have dominion over us. Over us. We're to have dominion over the earth, the sea, the bird of the air, the fishes that are in the sea. This is what God expects us to do. But we can't do it, you see, if we're going to live like animals, untamed animals, animals that have no self-control, individuals who live by the passion of our anger that is allowed to run unleashed in our relationships with people, family, and friends. It can be done only one way. And that is through discipline. Is this not what the ecologists, both the physical and 
and the social ecologists are trying to tell us today, if we don't use some self-discipline, if we don't use some control, if we do not start harnessing our anger and just do not run wild by being hostile to other people of other nations and, and to use stop using up this particular precious earth that God has given to us. What do they say will happen? And we see evidences already in our world. We will not have dominion over the world, but rather the world will swallow us up. And we will find that pollution and population and some of these other things that for the first time are starting to worry mankind that we will not have control and dominion over these, but rather they will ruin us. See, Jesus was right. Whether you think of it in a figurative sense or a little, literal sense, blessed are the meek, the controlled, the self-disciplined, those who know when and when not to become angry. For these people shall inherit the earth which God has given to us. That's the third beatitude, and it's, you see, it's very difficult for us to understand because of our limitation in an English vocabulary. And, and the fourth is equally as difficult to, to understand, not because we are limited in our vocabulary, but rather because we are limited in our experience. Because let's face it, most of us just do not know what it is to be really hungry and to be really thirsty. So you see, we, we do not understand this idea that Jesus is getting across. Blessed are those who are really hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. But a man living in ancient Palestine, he knew what it was to be hungry, and he knew what it was to be thirsty. Do you know an ancient Palestinian ate a meal with meat only once a week? How would you like that diet? He was constantly living on the border of starvation. And he knew what it was to see family and friends die because of a lack of food. Did you ever see anyone die of starvation? No, we, we, we're not used to such a common sight. Did you ever see anyone die because he did not have a drink of water? See, it was a long ways between water holes in ancient Palestine. And it was possible for a man to know that experience, to feel like he would die if he would not get another drink of water. You see, that the type of hunger that we're talking about here is not that kind of hunger that can be satisfied with a peanut butter sandwich. Nor is the thirst that we're talking about here that kind of thirst that can be quenched with a cup of coffee or an ice cream soda. Jesus is saying here, do you desire goodness as much as a man who is dying from starvation desires food, and a man who is dying from thirst desires water? It's very difficult through our experience to understand the intensity which Jesus is asking here They're telling, rather, that we should have as our desire for goodness. You see, this beatitude is, it's not a statement as much as it is a question. Jesus is saying, how much do you really want goodness? Do you really want it as much as a dying man 
A man who is dying for starvation wants food. Do you really want it as much as a man who is dying of thirst really wants water? How much do you really want goodness? You see, that's a terribly incriminating question and beatitude. Because, you see, most of us really don't want to be too good. But there's another coin to the side of this beatitude, and thank God for it. Notice it does not say, blessed are those who attain righteousness, or, or blessed are those who achieve righteousness. No, no. Thank the good Lord it doesn't say that, because none of us would ever claim any happiness then if that were the case. But it said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In other words, Jesus is trying to tell us God just does not judge us according to our deeds of righteousness, but he judges us also according to our desires and our dreams for righteousness. Do you really, no matter what you're failing, no matter what your fault, do you still want goodness in your life and in the world? If you really want it as much as a, a dying man wants food, and a thirsty man wants drink, then you have a chance of finding satisfaction and happiness in this world. And there's another point here that can be brought out only in the Greek in which we miss entirely in the English. You see, the case that is used here, as in most cases according to the dictates of Greek grammar, after verbs of hungry and hunger and thirst, they use the genitive case. Now, the genitive case is the case which, in English, we express by using the word of, O-F. Now, the Greek, in using the genitive case, the partitive genitive case, after verbs of, of hungering and thirsting, this means uh, something like this. I am hungered of the bread. And it means that, in the genitive case, you see that the individual does not want the whole loaf of bread, merely a slice of piece of bread, that, that will be enough. Or I, I thirst for of the water, means I, I don't want the whole pail of water, I, I just want a cup from the pail. But if the direct accusative is used instead of the genitive, and here the direct accusative is used in, in the sixth chapter of this particular gospel chapter of Matthew, the sixth verse, the sixth chapter, the fifth chapter, the sixth verse. The direct accusative, whenever it is used, it is, means the whole loaf or the whole pail. And what is being said here by Jesus, it says, unless you are thirsty and unless you are hungry for the whole of righteousness, for complete righteousness, for total righteousness, you're never going to be satisfied. This is a very important part because, you see, most of us can be divided into groups who have only partial or part goodness. There are those individuals, and you know them and I know them too, who are outstanding individuals, and we like to think of them as being righteous. You know, they, they pay their taxes and their high assessments, and they are individuals who, who pay all of their bills. No one ever heard them swear. You couldn't even imagine them committing adultery. They go to church. They, they study their Bible. They lead in prayer. But if you had a problem, they'd be the last person in the world that you would go to see. 
because you know that they would not understand. There's no warmth in their righteousness. As soon as you would get out two words of your sobbing, sorrowful story, you would feel a nice berg come between the two of you, and all you would get would be a lecture. And then on the other hand, we all know people who are really not very good. Maybe they get drunk every Saturday night. Maybe they never go to church. Their relationships with, with people, they are anything but good. But we know we can talk to that person. And if we were in real trouble, that person would give us the last dollar out of his pocket and, and, and the last coat that he would have to wear on his own back. Now, the important thing, you see, these people have a little bit of goodness, each one of them, but neither one of them is an example of what we're talking about here. This is only partial goodness. Neither one of these people represents a totally righteous individual, an individual who knows not only the laws of goodness, but the love of goodness as well. And this is what Jesus is saying. It's blessed is that individual who hungers as a man dying for food, hungers, and is thirsty as an individual who is dying from thirst, needs water. If you are that type and you desire with that kind of effort and motivation, total goodness, you're going to find a satisfaction in life, which is great happiness and joy. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, and blessed will he be. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.